Jump down to Genesis chapter 32. And you know, we've been talking about throwing down the gauntlet. And today I want to throw down the gauntlet on deceitfulness and insecurity. Deceitfulness and, and, and insecurity. And uh, man, we're going to look at a guy, um, and his name's Jacob. If you don't know much about Jacob's life, I'm going to try to give you a quick survey of Jacob's life. But what you're going to see when it comes to Jacob, uh, this is a guy that was deceitful from the beginning and deceitful all the way to the end, and God still used him. And so that's the encouragement today is there does need to come a point, and there does come a point in Jacob's life where he stops being deceitful. But you can see the sins of the past and the sins of the fathers are transferred down to the sins of the next generation and the next generation. We're going to see some of those things uh, in his life. Let me go past um, Jacob. Uh, anybody here ever a guy named Joseph? Anybody here ever a guy named Joseph? He was one of Jacob's sons. What do you know about Joseph's brothers and the relationship to Joseph? What do you know? It wasn't very good. Why? Because Joseph's father loved Joseph more than he loved his other sons. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? All right? So if we think about that problem, really, that sin of favoritism towards one child over another didn't start with just the sons. They garnered it from the father. And the father garnered it from the mother. And the mother garnered it from the father. I mean, you just go all the way up the line, and we're going to see that one sin can be passed down to the next generation over and over again. Ultimately, it almost cost Joseph his life. But the good news is it didn't cost Joseph his life. God had a plan. Now, when we think about that, even as we look at Jacob, and I'm going to try to give you a quick survey today of Jacob's life, uh, even in the midst of his sinfulness, even in the midst of a broken and deceitful past, God still had a plan for Jacob. And so guys, I want to encourage you with that in here. If, if you are here and you are new to our Bible study and you're just starting to get, um, get serious about your faith, and if you have those moments or maybe many, many moments or many, 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 many moments when you wish you could do something over about your past but you can't go back and have one do-over, if you look at Jacob's life, God can still use you. And that's what I want to encourage you. But there does have to come a point in time when you face up to the reality of who you are, how you've lived, how you're going to walk, and not really how you've walked, but how you're going to walk from here on out. And so let's open in prayer. Father, thank you so much for these guys. And God, my prayer is today as we talk about just throwing down the gauntlet against uh, deceitfulness and insecurity, uh, as we look at Jacob's life, God, I just pray that you would challenge us in such a way uh, as men to realize that uh, we can still be a part of your plan. You can still move on our behalf. You can still move in our families. And God, that the decisions that we make today don't just impact us, but they impact our family. Those, they impact our kids. They impact those we love and those we care about. And so God, uh, I pray that as men today, we would take an honest examination of Jacob's life. We would see the areas where he fell short and oftentimes see perhaps in our life that um, his sins are simply synonyms for our sins. But also we want to see the grace that you showed him as synonyms for the grace that you show us in our lives. And God, I thank you for inviting us as men into your continued plan even in our deceitfulness and brokenness and our sinfulness and in our failures. God, you are a loving and gracious God. In Jesus' name we pray. 
amen and amen. I don't know if you've read much about, and this guy obviously wasn't in my, uh, in my generation, but I don't know if you've read much about Frank Sinatra. Uh, not, not his life, but really the end of his life, or towards the end of his life. Uh, man, this guy was wealthy beyond belief. He's had it, but he was always in the midst of some backroom dealing. I don't know if you've ever kind of read about him. He's always kind of kind of just close enough to be with thieves, but not be called a thief because he, he, he sang so much. But those are the people that he hung around with. So he was already really wealthy. Then he was always putting all the family's money into some cockamamie deal. He would lose it all. Then he would have to gain some more and get some more. But more importantly, when you go down and read all of his life, and one of his daughters named Tina, you've got to read, she wrote a lot of memoirs about towards the end of his life. He used to say that I'll know when it's time to quit. I'll know when it's time to quit. I'll know when it's time to quit. But for those of you who truly perhaps were Frank Sinatra fans, what do you know about Sinatra? He didn't know when it was time to quit. He was always doing another gig. He was always going back to Vegas to do another show. Even though he had plenty of money, he was always trying to get involved in another deal to make another quick buck and perhaps to make the quick buck. The only way it happened was he's going to rip someone else off and oftentimes he lost everything. But if you go read some of his daughters, she said, you know, towards the end of his life, he was uh, in such a feeble shape, but he always needed to do another gig. She would say, Dad, you don't need to do this anymore. And he would say, I've got to make another buck so everybody will be happy. I've got to make another buck so everybody would be happy. She said she couldn't see about 10 of his last concerts because she couldn't stand to see her father up there who had been singing these songs literally thousands of times, forget the words in the middle of the song. Anybody ever, ever, ever see him towards the end of his life that he actually had to sing with a teleprompter? And then there were sometimes, and people were paying hundreds of dollars to still see him at the end of his life. There were times that he couldn't even read and sing at the same time it's my understanding if you read some of the stories, and I don't know if some of y'all were in there but uh, ever went to him, uh, but it's my understanding that in some of his last few concerts that the, co that the crowd, I almost called him a congregation, actually would sing the songs for him because they felt so sorry for him. That when he would get in the middle of a song and he would lose his pitch and he would lose his words, that the crowd knew the songs so well, but the man who had written the songs and sung the songs and popularized the songs could no longer sing his own songs. And out of pity, the crowd would finish the songs for him. And so I don't know if you know, but if you know even more so, once he finally died, the family just continues to fight over his fortune. Whatever he had, the brothers and sisters, they don't talk, they fight, they argue, because it was always, there was always a sense where somebody, whoever was closest to dad, was encouraging him to go on the road again. That's who he seemed to love the most at the end of his life, because dad, you can do this, dad, you can do this. She pulled away, so guess what? She's kind of getting left off to the side. She always wanted the dad to take his own words and say, enough is enough, I know it's time to quit. And so as we think about that, I want to encourage you uh, man, if we look at Jacob today, and you look at some of the deceitfulness we're going to see in Jacob today, first of all, I want you to realize, number one, that, that there is a time that we need to put the old things away. 
And we need to understand that, man, the longer, the earlier and the sooner that we can put our things away, the, the longer we have to get our families in order and our life in order and our legacy in order. And so as we think about this, let's go to a passage. Let's start, and I want to start by just reading uh, Genesis chapter 32. This is going to be our launching point. Then we're going to go back to early places in Genesis. And I want, to, want you to see how we get to this place. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, this is basically a time when Jacob is having to face the music. Anybody know who Jacob's brother was? Esau. Jacob and Esau. They were twins. Esau was born first, all right? Esau was born first, and Jacob was born second. But if you remember the story, when they were born, Jacob was actually grabbing hold of Esau's hill. Why is that important in the Israel day? In, the, in, in Israel's day? Why is that important in the old-timey day? Who first? Birthright, man. Whatever you get, the birthright, the legacy, all the money, all the power, all of everything goes to the firstborn. So it's almost acknowledged right there. Well, we're going to see here in a few seconds that uh, Esau was born first. Jacob was born second. Jacob and his mom snooker their dad in his old age and steal the birthright from his older brother Esau. Esau and Jacob have to go their own way because of their deceitfulness. All right? Now, there always comes a time, oftentimes for all of us, that we have to face the music. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You ever, don't raise your hand and certainly don't point to them if they're in the room. You ever, you ever said something wrong or done something wrong and then you found out that they knew you did it? And you remember how you felt that next time you saw them? And you're like, man, can I just walk the other way or do I just face the music? You ever been caught in that situation where you, man, we all have, right? Where you, we all have. When, when you've said something about someone, maybe it was wrong, let's just use words, and all of a sudden one of the people that you thought was your good friend that you had shared that with goes and shares it with them. And once you hear they know, then you are faced with a dilemma. What's the dilemma? I either lie, call my friend a liar, or I face the music. I say, man, I blew it. I dropped the ball. You ever done something wrong? You ever gotten a wrong financial dealing or financial trouble or you ever, you ever stolen from somebody or not fulfilled your bargain? Have you ever done uh, anything like that? And what you knew at some point you would have to do is face the music. And so this is where we are. Jacob is on his way back toward Esau. All right? And he knows he's about to face the music. Now, Esau, and we're going to read this here in a few seconds. Esau's He's kind of the outdoorsy type. He's kind of the dude that choked out the mountain lion, all right? That's kind of who Esau is in the relationship. J Jacob is, uh, is kind of the mama's boy, you know? He, he, he's the housemaid. He knows how to make porridge and stew and, 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 and knows how to make, make special breads around the house and pick up donuts and stuff like that. And that's who he is. And so these guys are coming back together, and Jacob is scared for his life. And let me tell you what, if you read the, when we read the story and just hit some of the highlights here in a few seconds, Esau probably has every good right to kill him. And so Jacob's worried. And now, we may or may not get back to this, but if you read in the first 22 verses of Genesis chapter 32, as they are moving back together, Esau is coming across the pass one way, and Jacob is coming across the pass the other way. And there's this stream that separates them. And so Jacob starts doing this. 
Jacob starts gathering up gifts and sending part of his caravan ahead. Go give these to Esau. And so he sends one group ahead. Then he gathers up another group of his men. And he gathers up some more gifts from his house, some gold and some silver and some other gifts and the best of his lamb and sheep and goat and all of those things. He says, man, send these. And so what Jacob is doing is trying to soften up his brother. Okay, He's trying to soften up his brother with all of these gifts so Esau might just be overwhelmed with all the gifts that finally he sees Jacob and says, Hey, dude, thanks for the gift. I'm going to let it go. Let's just don't spend any time together, right? Anybody have a brother like that that you just, you know, we just kind of have this mutual. But what happens is right here at Genesis chapter 20, 32, verse 23, not only is Jacob sent his men and his flocks and his gift forwards in several different ways. Now he sent his family. He's kind of throwing his wife and kids out there just as a barrier between him and his brother. And so notice what it says in verse 20, 23. It says, After then he had sent them, after he had sent them, all of those things, the family, the peace offerings, everything to Esau, across the stream and sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob is left alone. Now that's a scary place for us, right guys? I don't know about you as a man. Being left alone, and when I'm, I'm not, I don't mind being alone. I mind being left alone. If I don't have a wife and I don't have my kids and I don't have my possessions and I don't have my friends and I don't have anything. Guys, we're okay with alone as long as we're not left alone. In fact, there are times I choose isolation. It's kind of good. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I kind of enjoy being in those spaces where there aren't a bunch of words coming my way. Uh, but it's different from me finding those moments and places and spaces of isolation or me perhaps losing it all. Everything he loved, everything he had worked for, everything he had gained in his life, he had sent on the other side of his stream, knowing full well that by the time the sun rises the next day, all of that stuff could be gone. Do you know what I'm saying? He's not sure if Esau is just going to gather up all of his stuff, kill his family, and they're all going to be working for Esau. So it says, so Jacob was left alone. And he goes to bed, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak, all right? When the man saw that he could not overpower him, I'm in verse 25, Genesis chapter 32, when he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, and he, was wrestled, and he wrestled with the man. Then the man said to him, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked, What is your name? And he said, Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but it will be Israel, because you have struggled with God, with humans, and have overcome. Now notice, even within the blessing, you have struggled with God and with humans. In other words, that's who you've been all your life. And there is a reality, though, that there are times, regardless of where we are, if you and I will spend some time struggling with God, and say, God, I can't undo one thing I've done in my past. God, there are times that I know I've walked in disobedience to you. But God, I'm crying out. I'm going to beg for you. I'm gonna, and I'm not going to let you go, God, until you bless me. Have you ever been to one of those states of desperation in your life? Jacob is in that state. Everything he loves is on the other side of the stream. He doesn't know if the sun comes up, if he's going to have a wife or multiple wives, He's not going to know if he's going to have kids or multiple kids. 
He doesn't know if he's going to have possessions or multiple possessions. He doesn't know what he's going to have, and he really doesn't know when the day breaks if he's even going to have a breath left in his lungs. He is alone. And in those moments, like Jacob, guys, all we can do is cry out to God. All we can do is cry out to God and say, God, I am begging for your blessing. And sometimes for us to be alone, that is a good thing. Because when we have all of our possessions and we have all of our friends and we have all the agreements that we've cut and made, a lot of times we rely on them and not God. And so I want you to know there are seasons in our lives when it's okay to have no one to rely on but God. And if you find yourself in one of those spaces, start wrestling. Don't let go of God. Now think about this. The reality is he's basically wrestling God. And uh, God could have gotten away at any time, right? God just wanted him to struggle. You've been striving and struggling all your life, Jacob. Now I want you to strive and struggle in your relationship with me. That's essentially what God is doing. You've been striving to deceive your brother, to deceive your uncle Laban. You've been striving to get the right wife instead of the wrong wife. You've been striving to steal some of Laban's, uh, deceive some of Laban's and get the best of his flocks. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. He goes, but now the only thing Jacob has to do is to strive with and struggle with is to hold on to God. And so, guys, I, I want you to know when it comes to over, over, overcoming insecurity and deceitfulness, there are times when your number one thing needs to be to hold on to God regardless of how things look, regardless of how things seem in your life. So it says, Then the man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. He goes, Then, he, then the man said to him, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. He replied, why do you, he says, But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Then it says, The sun rose above him, and he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat from the tendon uh, that is attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Now, one thing that we know about Jacob is his striving and struggling with God. He didn't go away without a limp. And he limped the rest of his life. And it impacted those who followed him. And there are realities that sometimes our sin and our struggle and our struggle with sin and our struggle with God will leave us with a limp. And that is okay. And the beautiful thing about Jacob, let me ask you a question. From here on out, when someone saw Jacob walking up to them and they saw him limping and they asked, what did you do to your hip? What kind of a testimony do you think he had? You know, I've been struggling with men and people and women all my life. But this limp, I got him a struggle with God. And a place that you are hurt or limping can ultimately be your best testimony of God's faithfulness first, God's faithfulness first, and your faithfulness next. And so guys, if you are walking around and you've got a relational limp or an emotional limp or a financial limp or an occupational limp or a spiritual limp of some kind, man, the reality of it is 
That can be your greatest testimony for the rest of your life. If you will get your life right with God and begin to follow Him and walk with Him, and you can say, you know what, God, let me get this limp. I earned it. I cheated, I did this, I did that. Does that make sense? But that can be your greatest area of testimony. So let me just run you a quick, quick survey through his life. All right, grab your Bibles or grab your smart. Jump back to Genesis chapter 25, verse 1. Uh, Jacob's life begins with a struggle uh, for his position. He's a twin. I told you, if you look at Genesis chapter 25, verse 21, it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Uh, this is uh, Jacob's father. Because his wife was childless, she was childless, the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebecca, not Rachel, Jacob will marry Rachel here in a bit, this is Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Lord, why is this happening to me? And now jump down to verse 23. Uh, Rebecca's a little confused. She goes, what is going on in my stomach? What is happening in my stomach? Man, her, her stomach just jostled. And uh, verse 23 said, The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you, and they will be separated. One people will be strong, stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. What is God saying? I know what's about to happen. Even in the midst of all of Jacob's deceiving, he didn't outsmart God. Okay? God still has a plan. I want you to know, in the midst of whatever your shenanigans were, whatever your sh sinfulness was, God still knew. And God can still bless you. And so then as you jump down, look at verse 24. It says, When the time came for her to give birth, there were twins in her womb. The first came out and was red. This is Esau. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. And they called him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's hill. There it is. Jacob holding on to Esau's hill. It's almost like, let me out first, all right? And so he's holding on to Esau's hill. So he, named, he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth. Now, if you jump down to verse 27, notice what happened. Jacob and Esau uh, were as different as night and day. Look at verse 27. It says, The boys grew up, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. In other words, Jacob was a mama's boy. Esau was a hunter. Jacob, uh, Esau was a man's man. Jacob was anything but a man's man. All right? That's exactly what it says. Jump down to verse 28. It says, Isaac, who had, tasted, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. All right? Now let's just stop. Notice, the sins of the father passed down to the sins of the son. You have the mom who loves Jacob and the dad who loves Esau. They clearly show favorites, right? If you go older than them, Abraham and Sarah, they had their favorite, right? Abraham and Sarah, man, you had Ishmael. You had, man, the sins of the fathers continually be passed down to the sins of the sons and beyond, on to several generations. I want to encourage you. Remember, whatever you do today is probably whatever flaws, whatever difficulties, if it's anger, if it's bitterness, if it's some sort of an addiction, you want to be careful because how you walk and how you talk and how you live is going to impact the kids that follow you. We've got to be very careful. Now, for some of us, we need to go back and look in our kids' eyes and ask for forgiveness. Say, listen, I know who I was, 
but that's not who I am. Does that make sense? There are times we need to have, and I want you to know, it's, it's great to say I'm going to have that conversation. I've had those, some of those conversations with my kids. I've looked at my oldest son, and, and Jason watched me parent my, uh, his younger siblings. I'm a way better dad with my younger kids than I was with my older kids. Well, first of all, I was a rookie with him. I was just making it all up, right? And, you know, it, it, there was a, even a less of a blessing. I could have really used neither both my, um, my wife Gina's father and, and my father had passed away before we were ever married. I could have used a grandfather just to put his arm around me every once in a while and say, hey, you know, just back off a little bit. Just ease off a little bit. And Jace got that. Jace got the hardest driving. Now, my, my youngest kid, I don't care. You know, maybe I'm just worn up. I don't know if I'm wiser or just weaker, right? But there is a reality that there are times that Jace will just throw some things out and say, hey, you know, when I was that age, you did this. When I was out, and I was like, can you, do you ever forget? And I want you to know right now, your kids don't forget. Wherever, wherever you are showing a measure of duplicity, they can see it. They can see it. And so I want to encourage you guys, remember, there are times we need to sit down and look in our kids' eyes and say, you know what, I ask you forgiveness for that. I want to ask you forgiveness. Sometimes they embrace it and accept it and say, oh, I was just picking on you or something like that. And there are other times that they, they seem to hear it, but they don't receive it. But that still doesn't mean that you don't go do the right thing, guys. We always want to do the right thing. So now let's jump down. Uh, notice the parental favoritism as you just jump down verse 29. It says, once Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country and, about to, uh, and was famished, verse 30. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew that you've been cooking all day. And now you can imagine that Esau probably rolled in and said, hey, I've been out here killing wild animal and stuff like that. And I see you made another pot of stew today. Isn't that sweet? But at this time he came in, he was famished, he was hungry. And he said, man, I've been out in the open country, I'm famished. Uh, and then look at verse 31. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Esau says, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to some of his birthright to Jacob. Now, Esau shouldn't have done that. But why was his brother trying to charge him for stew anyway? Because if there's any meat in that stew, if, 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 if it wasn't vegan stew, Esau had killed it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Because you know Jacob hadn't killed it. Although it may have been the day before or the week before or some season before, if it wasn't vegan stew, all right, there's meat in that stew, Esau had, Esau had made it. But Jacob charged his brother. So yeah, should Esau have sold his birthright? Absolutely not. But should Jacob have charged his brother? Oh, here's some stew. Have at it, brother. Now, look at, look at this. So now we jump, down, jump over to Genesis 27, verse 4. Isaac is old. Isaac is old. He's, he's about to die. Uh, his eyesight has faded. And so as we pick it up in verse, verse 1, it says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were weak, uh, that he could no longer see, he called Esau, his, brother's, uh, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am. He answered, Isaac said to him, I am now an old man and don't have many days left of my life. Now then, get your equipment, uh, your quiver and your bow, go out to the open country. Love that idea, open country, open country, open country, where a man needs to be, to hunt some of the wild game for me. 
prepare for me the kind of tasty food that I bring it to me so that I may bless you before I die. Now let me jump you, uh, give you a little jump ahead. What we're about to read here is all for naught. Because whatever Isaac, what was going on in Isaac's life here, Isaac ended up living about 20 more years. All right? Isaac ends up living about 20 more years. But he thinks he's about to die. All right? I don't know what it was. But he thought he was about to die. And so now let's jump down. And so notice as you pick it up, uh, let's jump down to uh, verse 41 of Genesis chapter 27. Uh, Esau held a grudge against Jacob. So here's what happened. Uh, Jacob and his mom, his mom heard uh, that, uh, that, that the father Isaac was about to give the birthright to Esau. said, hey, let's dress you up. Let's put you in some of your brother's clothes. Go in there. Jacob goes in and gets the blessing. Boy, and Esau is hacked. Esau is mad. So they, what do they do? They devise a plan. Uh, Esau holds a grudge, wants to kill him forever. And now as you jump down, here's what happened. Rebekah says, became aware of Esau's plan. Esau is going to kill Jacob. So uh, Rebekah says, here's what you really need to do, Jacob. You need to go to, my un to your uncle, my brother Laban. All right? And so she sends Jacob to Laban. For, who's an uncle, lives in a different, a different county, a different space, different place. And he says, you need, she says, you need to go over there. You need to live there for a while. Let, let Esau cool down. Go serve my uncle. And he goes, by the way, marry a woman from our tribe. And if you read it, it says, you don't want to marry the women that live around here. Go find a woman over there with Laban. That's exactly what Jacob does. How many of you know, know this story? Jacob goes over there. If you don't, it's a fascinating story if you want to read it all. Here's what happened. Jacob goes over to a man named Laban. That is his mom's uncle, uh, mom's brother, Jacob's uncle. And as he's coming up, he sees that Laban is also a shepherd. He's bringing what little flock he has, what little shepherd. Remember, remember he hasn't been much of a shepherd. He hadn't been much of an outdoors person. He walks up and immediately he sees Laban's daughter. Who knows the first daughter that he sees and he falls in love with? What's her name? Rachel. He sees Rachel and falls in love with Rachel. I mean, on the spot. It says, as a matter of fact, it says he kissed her right there. Now, probably it was the eastern kiss on the, on the cheek. You are, you know, you, you're, but again, what you're about to see is this is what they do in Arkansas. All right? <laughs> This is, this, is, this, is where, this is where things, uh, uh, hey, there's Chuck Whittem right back out there. And Chuck's family tree. Right like this. So he basically kisses her. He goes into Laban. How many of you remember the deal? Said, listen, I want to marry your daughter. And Laban says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to work for me how long? Seven years, tend my flocks, grow my flocks, cut your teeth, become kind of an outdoorsy guy, and I will give you my daughter. Now, Laban had two daughters. Some of you guys that know, what was the other one's name? Huh? Leah. Leah. Her name was Leah. She was the older daughter. Now, let me just say that as different as Jacob and Esau were, Leah was also just as different than Rachel, but in looks. One was a looker, one was not. Matter of fact, 
the description in the Hebrew is she had weak eyes. Now, commentators are kind of wondering, does that mean she's weak on the eyes? Or does she actually have weak eyes? Now, the commentators will debate, but here's what we know. One was hot, one was not, all right? That's what we do know. And so Jacob works for seven years for his wife, and that's when he finds out that Laban is a lot like him. If you don't know the story, Laban says, hey, listen, let's give him the ugly one tonight. That's exactly what happened. They go through the wedding feast. They prepare it all together. Jacob goes in. Uh, I don't know what Laban did. I don't know if Laban said, hey, pull all, turn all the light bulbs out or pull away the candle, but just get them in the room together and make sure the lights are off. And that's exactly what happens. And it says at daybreak, daybreak again, all of a sudden Jacob is confronted with the reality. He's got the one that's weak on the eyes. And he goes, how could you do this? Then Laban informs him, hey, I forgot to mention this. It is our custom. We have to give the oldest daughter away first. Now, how many of you think Jacob would have said, couldn't you have told me that a while back? Because I've got some shepherds I could have taken care of there. And so Laban says, hey, listen, I'll give you the one you want. How many of you know what his next deal was? Give me seven more years. Now, let me tell you what. She must have been a looker because he worked for him another seven years, right? So it turns out that Laban, man, is just as deceitful with Jacob. Does it, you know, ever heard of the birds of a feather flock together? All right. And so Jacob works on now. He's got two wives. The one he loves can't have children. The one with weak eyes starts popping out kids. And as a matter of fact, between the pretty one and the ugly one and some maidens of the pretty one, kind of like Abraham and Sarah sent her in and said, have some children for me. But it says Jacob clearly loved her. The reality of it is those babies make up the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those was Joseph. One of those was Joseph. And just like his father and mother had done, he loved Joseph most. Almost cost him his life. So as they begin to grow, he's working there with his, with his uncle Laban for 14 years, gets both of Laban's daughters, the good one and the not-so-good one. The not-so-good one is the one that has kids. The one that, that is so good that he really loved is the one that's barren. And he works, and then all of a sudden, but Jacob begins to be blessed by God. And he gets to a place and he says, man, it's time for me and Laban to separate. And I, I don't want to go into this, but basically he ended up kind of conniving. Jacob kind of connived, said, all right, you messing with me. I'm going to mess with you. You give me the wrong wife first and I'm going to work for you for 14 years. He ends up basically calling out the best of Laban's flock and says, see you, Unc, I'm out of here. And he begins to journey back, knowing that the journey back is going to take him face to face with his brother. And that's when we come to this season in space where we see that as Jacob is moving towards Esau and somebody says, hey, by the way, Esau has heard you're on the way and he is heading towards you. And Jacob is in a problem. He's got Laban and his men behind him who he's basically just snookered, although he did get the wife. I mean, Laban might still think I snookered him. And he got Esau in front of him. So what does he have? He's got two people 
that he messed around, one in front, one in back. But it's time to face the music. And that's where we come to this space in this passage in Genesis chapter 32. And we see Jacob beginning to send peace offerings ahead and ahead. And they wrestle all night. And then if you look at it, it says, That night uh, Jacob got up and took his wives and his two female. I'm in, I'm in Genesis chapter 32 verse 21. It says, That night Jacob got up took two of his wives, two of his female servants, and eleven of his sons, and crossed over the ford of the Jabbok. And after he sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So now we come to the space where Jacob is left alone, and he wrestles with God until daybreak. Here's what you need to know. In spite of Jacob's past and his dealings, God still had a purpose for Jacob's life. And guys, as you close out, I just want to give you a couple of thoughts as we think about this crazy mixed up life that we see. I just want to, if you want to write down or jot down some thoughts. Number one, we do see family is important. Guys, family is important. Whether you're married to your first wife or your second wife or not, wherever your kids are, family is important. Any chance and any opportunity you can get to reconcile with your brother or your sister, take it. And you're looking at a man who never reconciled with his brother. Because there will come a day when you wish you could. There will come a day when you wish you could. Family's important. Do everything you can with your kids and just to get things right with your mom and dad. Sometimes it won't work out. But guys, family's important. If you can get it right, get it right. Here's the second thing as I thought about this story. Our sins are destructive, not only to us, but our relationships with others as well as our kids. Boy, if you think about his sin caused strife between him and Esau, between him and Laban, between him and his kids. He had received favoritism from his mom, and his brother Esau had received favoritism from his dad, and he turned around and passed it along and loved Joseph more than he loved the other sons, and it about cost Joseph everything. That's why Joseph was sold into slavery, because his father was sinful. Guys, don't allow your kids to be sold into the slavery of your sin without getting your life right. And I'm not talking about legitimate slavery. I'm talking about, guys, get things right in your life so our kids don't have to carry the weight of our sin around. Get your life right. Here's the third thing I want you to hear. God can still use you regardless of a broken past. God can still use you regardless of what you've done in the past. It's amazing to me, and I didn't even go into all the story, by the way, guys, that in Genesis chapter 32, after one mess up and one deceitfulness, one broken treaty, one broken relationship after another, that when Jacob wrestled with God, and let me tell you what, boys, God could have gotten away anytime he wanted to. How many of you know that? God looked at him and says, Your name has been 
Anybody know what the name deceiver means? Oh, I just gave you the answer. It's early. Jacob means the deceiver. In that night of wrestling, God gave him a new name, Israel. Guys, if we wrestle with God in prayer and confession, crying out to God to move in our heart and move in our lives, I will promise you God will look at you and say, until now, your name has been train wreck. Your name has been broken relationship. Your name has been bankrupt. Your name has been deceiver. Your name has been liar. But from this point on, your name shall be a child of God. And I'll use you. And I love what Scripture says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Anybody know how that finishes? The old has passed away. Behold, the new is come. In that moment, in that space, in that place, Jacob experienced the new. Guys, my prayer for some guys in this room is that you would experience the new. Your family matters, your relationship matters, but your relationship with God matters most. Don't ever quit struggling with God. Don't ever stop confessing your sins to God. Don't ever stop crying out for God to bless you, regardless of the mess you've made in your life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. God, if nothing else, I, I pray that the guys heard the word. I, the beauty of Scripture is that you don't sugarcoat it. God, you don't show us a bunch of men that never made mistakes. As a matter of fact, you, we look specifically in Jacob's life. You choose to call Israel. He did more things wrong in the pages and verses and chapters of Scripture than he did right. But the one thing he did do right in Genesis 32 is he held on to you, God. So God, my prayer for men in this room who might see more of their days and more of their years and more of their decades of life are behind them than are in front of them. I pray that each one today would make a choice to hold on to you and never let go. God, we confess our sins. If there's one in here today, Lord, that needs to have that final and full salvation experience, that they become that new creation, that new creature, that new creation, that new creature, that they would truly experience this day what it means to be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great day. See you. Pray for Rex.